Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. As the nights draw in and the prospects of gatherings for bonfire night and Christmas go up like a Roman candle, many of us will dream of escaping. To close your eyes... And imagine. Sailing off around the world, these tropical paradises, amazing friendships, the sea life. I was swimming with humpback whales in Tonga, manta rays in Fiji, and just having an absolute blast. Escaping the rat race, simplifying life down to fewer, easier decisions, without the interruptions of emails and news alerts of new local lockdowns. No stress, the freedom of just sailing across the horizon. All I had to care about was pointing the boat in the right direction. What was I going to have to eat that day? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, sailing away. Working from home has made many of us reassess our work-life balance. Demand for properties outside the city has shot up as people look for life with more space, a greater connection to the outdoors and a possibility for adventure. We've all imagined leaving it all behind, taking off on an epic journey of discovery. Well, meet Tom Darcy, who in 2016... At the age of 33, with a job in the city, a girlfriend and an enviable lifestyle, felt he could wait no longer. Adventure called, and he answered, setting off alone in his sailboat from the Isle of Wight. It was all a bit of a last-minute rush to leave, getting the boat provisioned with food and all the equipment finalised and saying goodbye to everyone. I remember now going out of the harbour at Yarmouth and heading out to sea, and I was really wondering if I was making the right decision. I was probably a little bit naive back then, thinking, oh, I, I can do this, but, you know, should I be back earning money again? And my mum and my sister and a few friends waved me off, but it was pretty low-key. I could just see the grey sky of an English summer, <laughs> the harbour full of boats, the, the Isle of Wight ferry, the, the restaurants and the pubs, just the, the, the view I normally see every day when I'm sailing out of Yarmouth, but then not knowing when I would see it again was a strange feeling for sure. Tom's departure date had been set by the Jester Challenge, a race he'd signed up for, for single-handed sailors in small boats from Plymouth to the Azores. 
it actually started off pretty badly. I faced some storms within the first week of leaving Plymouth, actually, and gave up trying to get to the Azores. I had a week of yeah, headwinds and rain and gales and everything, and I thought, oh, no, I don't want to break the boat straight away. So I diverted to Spain. And I remember I arrived in this tiny little harbour in the pouring rain. It was my birthday, and I was having all these doubts. Uh, the, the engine was not really working very well. And it was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> it was a disaster, really. What made you go on? I think I realised after a good night's sleep that the hard part was leaving and now I was on my way. I was meeting people that would help me and I just thought, the hard bit's done, come on, carry on, the sun will shine soon and the wind will lighten and I'm sure it's going to get better. So yeah, I had a stern word with myself. <laughs> Such a lesson in life. Going back to that first day when you were setting off, what made you do it? I think about this quite a lot, having finished as to what really was my motivation to leave. I think until I'd got to my early 20s, I thought that life was, uh, you know, would go on forever, pretty invincible. But then my dad passed away from cancer when I was 24, and he was only 64, which is relatively young. So to see someone close in your family die quite young makes you realise, well, you don't go on forever and you've got to make the most of these opportunities. Was it the sort of adventure he would have approved of? I know he wouldn't have done it himself, but he would have been much happier probably buying a motorboat and pottering down the coast. But I think he would have been very proud about the trip and he worked at sea for I think nearly 50 years in the merchant navy so he'd seen some some pretty big adventures himself on commercial vessels and I'm sure he would have yeah, looked to my trip with a slightly envious eye but don't think he would have done it himself. Did it help you understand his time at sea? Definitely and he was he was at sea from the early 60s when there was no GPS or modern satellite communications. Through my trip I had so much respect for the sailors and adventurers of the old days who had no modern help and modern electronics, it does make it a little bit easier these days. So tell me what happened, because it, it sounds like the race didn't quite go to plan, but you decided you were determined to keep going. So what did you do? Well, at that point, when I retired from the race, I was on my own, didn't really know anyone in the Spanish port. But very quickly, I realised that when you're on a boat and you're cruising and you're sailing along, you very quickly meet like-minded people who are very adventurous and sharing the same kind of vision. So when I'd met a few people doing the same thing, we formed a nice little group and then I realised that we were all going to cross the Atlantic about the same time. We decided to have a fun race across the Atlantic and have yeah. Christmas together on the other side. And so very quickly it was a big social thing. I set off on my own, but it was now more of a group friend thing. The camaraderie of solo sailors. <laughs> exactly. Do you end up in a, a situation like that, making friends for life, really intense friendships? Definitely. I think, especially in the more remote parts I got to, there's this unsaid respect between people because you've all got to that point. You've all crossed a big ocean and you're all doing the same thing. It's a big leveller as well. I've got great friends now that have million pound boats and I've got friends that have 20 year foot boats that are worth nothing. And it's everyone's like minded, adventurous spirit and um, friends all over the world, which is Great for future holidays. Where did you head to after that? So you've just crossed the Atlantic, which must have been a hell of an adventure. So that took me 17 days to get across from the Cape Verde Islands to Barbados. And at the time, that was by far the longest time I'd spent on my own, let alone sailing on my own. But because I knew that my friends were out there somewhere and we were all racing each other, it felt like I had people close by, even though we were probably hundreds of miles apart. And then we had Christmas together and spent the first few months or the first few weeks of 2017 in the Caribbean and then it was really decision time because if I was heading back 
that year I would have to start heading north and prepare for another Atlantic crossing back in May. And I just couldn't make my mind up. I just, it was something that was nagging away at me that the South Pacific was calling. And if I headed west towards Panama and went through the Panama Canal, there was a whole new ocean. And in the end, that's the way I went. <laughs> Go west. <laughs> How was that? Well, the Panama Canal experience in itself was amazing. Just uh, going into a, a lock and through a canal system with huge super tankers and Panamax ships right next to my little eight and a half meter boat. Uh, that was fantastic, actually. And just to go from one ocean to another ocean is through a few gates and everything is a, yeah, a great experience. And then coming out the other side and having eight or 9,000 miles of Pacific in front of you and all these tropical paradises and things I'd read about and seen pictures of, it was a very exciting time. What were your plans at that point? That year, 2017, started very well. And for the most part, it was everything I would have dreamed about with sailing off around the world, these tropical paradises, amazing friendships, the sea life. I was swimming with humpback whales in Tonga, manta rays in Fiji, and just having an absolute blast, really a fantastic part of the world. And then it all went a little bit wrong towards the end of the Pacific crossing. I left New Caledonia to try and reach Australia, and I had a very good weather window, I thought, when I left, and it was about a nine-day sail. But after four days at sea, I downloaded a weather forecast and I could see there was this big storm rolling up the east coast of Australia. Oh, God. And it would hit me before I made landfall, so I didn't have enough time to safely get into port. What do you do when you're on your own in <laughs> a little boat and you can see a massive storm headed your way? Presumably there's nobody for miles and miles around. I was feeling all right at starters when I could see it and I saw a fishing boat come over the horizon and he'd obviously come from Australia so I called him up on the radio for a bit of advice and he basically said I was a nutter and he'd never be at sea in a boat as small as mine <laughs> and that's the last thing I wanted to hear at that point. <laughs> God, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do when that's the advice you're getting? <laughs> Fishermen and sailors quite often differ about certain things anyway but I had great faith in my boat but it, it was more like the fatigue and how I would cope with the lack of sleep and the change of plans late notice and everything so what I did in the end was it was safer to stay at sea rather than make landfall in those bad conditions in the height of the storm I spent three days hove to which is where you slow the boat right down and you, it just gives a better motion mentally it was a bit tough not making any progress and being thrown around by the waves but then after three days the conditions began to improve and in the end I safely made Lanf win uh, Brisbane. And just describe what that's like for those three days what are you experiencing what are you seeing? It was just wild basically you just look out and the amount of energy that's around you and all the waves battering the boat and the whine of the wind and the rigging it really, you, you feel at mercy of, of the sea and you just feel like you're a spectator and you don't want to upset Neptune in those moments. You just want to <laughs> behave well and uh, just ride it out. And yeah, in the end, I look back at it now and think it was probably good for me to have gone through that. But at the time, I, I was pretty anxious and I, I was finding it quite hard to sleep, just to relax enough to, to get rest and everything. I was pretty wired. And this will just show my complete inexperience about sailing but when you're surrounded by these massive waves in a storm I mean how do you batten down the hatches and keep everything in place? Well I reefed all the sails down and heaving to is a method that sailors have used for, for hundreds of years of reducing the sail area and putting the rudder across that stops the boat moving forward at a great speed it kind of just drifts very slowly sideways 
and that reduces the force of the the waves hitting the boat and it's actually extremely comfortable it's almost like turning down the the volume switch and of course the boat was still being thrown around but compared to trying to sail in those conditions it was manageable what was the relief like on the other end the end of those three days ah there was a, a big relief when i was very close to land and i was in the safety of the river but then I noticed something a bit strange, that there was a speedboat coming out with a guy with a machine gun on the back. Oh. And they just asked me to um, proceed immediately to the marina, don't stop or anchor on the way, and then we'll come and have a chat with you. And I thought that was a little bit strange. And then they proceeded to follow me for the next four hours, about two boat lengths behind me as I made my approach up the river at Brisbane and moored up in the marina. (laughs) What happened? I didn't know at the time, but the border force had become interested in my going around in circles for three days <laughs> approach and they didn't realise I was sheltering from bad weather and they thought because Australia has a, a problem with drugs coming in they thought I was potentially a drug smuggler and were quite uh, interested to have a chat with me and have a look over my boat so with an hour of tying up I had eight armed officers with machine guns all dressed in black all over my boat and I'd been asked to step off and they were asking me all sorts of questions about why I'd stopped for three days, where I'd come from, who was I meeting when I made landfall. And I was just completely knackered. All I wanted was, you know, a beer and a burger and get some rest. And here I was being interrogated. What did they make of your story? I thought it took them a long time to be convinced that I wasn't a drug smuggler. And then I was worried that someone had come on my boat, potentially in New Caledonia, and hidden something that I didn't know about. I just couldn't believe they were so interested in my little boat. It's not the best boat to uh, try and smuggle drugs in. After about two or three hours, they let me off and they said, you're free to go ashore. And I did all my check-in to Australia and everything. And then three days later, I was about to go south down the coast and they turned up again and they said, sorry, sir, we weren't satisfied. And this time they went another level. They um, they had dogs on the boat sniffing. They unscrewed the floor of my boat and uh, put camera probes everywhere. They even took my iPhone and downloaded everything on it and it was really I was really wondering at this point what what on earth was going on and that's because they just thought it was really unlikely that somebody would take off sail around the world on their own in in bad weather for fun I think that might be part of it and I think maybe there was a history of boats coming from New Caledonia that might have had some dodgy goods on board and I think they were just trying to piece a few things together and they were genuinely disappointed when they actually realised at the end that I was not a drug smuggler. Being interrogated once would be bad luck. Twice was almost enough to make Tom pack up, sell his boat and fly home. He was disillusioned and worn out. I was very close to giving up at that point. But it was cyclone season coming and I was always planning to have a little break from the boat. So I flew to New Zealand and left my boat in Australia and had a few months staying with some friends and family over there. And that really refreshed me. And when I came back, I actually thought, come on, keep going. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. After surviving three days in a storm and having his boat searched twice by the police, who thought he was a drug smuggler, Tom Darcy continued his round-the-world trip. But it was far from plain sailing. Coming up the South Atlantic, 2019 that was, the boat basically filled with water when I was asleep through a a hose fitting that had failed. As I'd slept, the water level was coming up in the boat and my bilge alarm hadn't gone off and I had a real shock when I got out of bed. What do you do when you're on your own in the middle of the ocean and your boat is filling with water? At first I didn't know whether it was fresh water or salt water, so... I uh, I tasted it, and then when it was salty, I thought, ah, that's that's not great. I lifted off the steps above the engine just to get some access to the bilge, and I could see the water was so high, it was lapping at the bottom of the engine, very close to the boat's batteries, which would have been very bad news. But I could see daylight shining through the inside of the boat from the back. So I was like, okay, it must oh, be, no. the issue must be at the back of the boat. So I rushed on the deck and emptied the cockpit locker as fast as I could and just about managed to squeeze in. And the water was up to my waist at this point, and uh, I could see exactly where the problem was. And within about two, three minutes, I'd managed to stop the leak. I had a wooden bung that I'd put into the hole. And then the bilge pumps, which should have come on automatically, but there was a failure in the uh, detector, so they hadn't gone off. So as soon as they were on, the water level came down relatively quickly, and I breathed a sigh of relief. But a lot of the inside of the boat was salty wet, yeah, it definitely got my heart rate going for a little while. I mean, that that must have felt terrifying because you've got no one nearby for help. Yeah, I was hundreds of miles from land in the South Atlantic. I think the nearest land was the island of St. Helena, which was I was trying to get to, but that was still 
three or four days sailing away. But I remember feeling I, I didn't panic at all at that moment. I think my body just went into self-preservation mode and I was just so focused on trying to find the leak and, and stopping it that I didn't for one moment think I was going to sink or, or drown or anything. It really was just focused. Tell me a bit about some of the people and the cultures that you met that you would never have, have come across otherwise. In the middle of the South Pacific, there's um, a little atoll called Palmerston, and it only has a population of 51 people, and they all descend from an ex-carpenter uh, who landed there in 1863 with his three wives and fathered 23 children, and they really are just an isolated community that's visited, I think, twice a year by a cargo ship, and that's it. That must have been so odd. What was it like there? The island is only about one square mile and they've divided it into three sections corresponding to each of the original three wives that settled with him. And they don't really get along with each other very well. There's a bit of friction on the island there. And then the, the men go away and spend a bit of time in New Zealand every so often, but they, they, try and, they try and find wives from outside the island just to increase the gene pool a little bit. But they're very, very proud of their history and uh, his name was William Masters uh, who settled there. So all of their surnames are the same. And it really is just a very, a very unique place to visit in the sailboat. What were the best moments? What were the places that you, you know, you're so glad you got the chance to see the views you might not have seen otherwise? Paint a picture for us. I mean, indulge me because most of us haven't had a holiday for a while. I would say about um, halfway through my longest passage of 38 days at sea, I hadn't had any company. I hadn't seen any other boats or any other people. And I remember I was sat on the foredeck at the end of the day, the sun was just going down. I was having a cup of tea and this pod of dolphins swam across to me, which happens now and again, but this pod was just extra energetic and just showing off, doing jumps and everything. And I found myself talking to them and trying to encourage them to jump higher. And they, <laughs> they really seemed to respond to my voice. And I just remember that moment, thousands of miles from land in the middle of the ocean, I hadn't seen anyone for weeks. And here was I just talking with dolphins. You can't really get that experience without setting off over the horizon. Not many people were lucky enough to be in that situation, so I just thought that was incredible. That moment came during Tom's longest period at sea. At 38 days, the view is pretty much the same every day. You've got the, the blue sky, the fluffy clouds and the, the endless horizon, so there's very little different visual stimulation each day. So that's why that, when the dolphins came to visit me, it was extra special because it was something that I didn't know was going to happen then and it was... I think it was all amplified, all my emotions at the time. Do you think you need to have had some of those days of solitude to really appreciate the ability to talk to dolphins? I haven't told many people I'd talked to dolphins before, but this is probably not the best place to have admitted that. <laughs> I think it's absolutely <laughs> exactly the right place. I mean, did you, did you find yourself talking to yourself or having imaginary conversations with people you'd left behind? Not really, but I found that when I got very, very tired... I would start hallucinating a little bit and quite often the sound on the boat I would think was a human voice, even though I knew well there was no one on the boat. That would happen quite a lot and I'd sort of look up and who's talking to me? And one time I woke up from a short nap and I was so tired I thought that was someone up in the cockpit steering. So I set my alarm for another half an hour and didn't go out and look around, which was pretty dangerous actually. So... I think in those moments where I was super tired and, and run down, that was when I, my mind was playing tricks on me. And what was it like? Presumably before you went, 
you wouldn't have experienced that kind of solitude and for such a long period. What is it like being on your own for more than a month with nobody to talk to? I actually really quite enjoyed it. I didn't know how I was going to find it until I did it. But looking back now, there was no stress. The freedom of just sailing across the horizon. All I had to care about was pointing the boat in the right direction. What was I going to have to eat that day? And the weather was pretty good on that trip. So there were no storms to dodge. And it was just, I just remember it being super relaxed, like no stress. Yeah, just a little bubble I was floating in for days on end. No news, no mobile phone, away from the internet. Amazing. After four years at sea, Tom sailed home this summer to a hero's welcome. I've been told that there were a few friends and family coming out to meet me at the Needles as I came through the Solent and headed back to Yarmouth on the Isle of Wight. But I'd never for a moment realised that there would be so many. I had, I think, 40 boats in the flotilla at the most were out on the water welcoming me in and so many familiar faces I hadn't seen for, for four years. And there was a lady in her 80s that taught me to sail when I was seven years old and she was out there on a boat. Obviously, my mum and my sister... Uh, were out there waving me in and her waving me back in. It was a great way to round it all off. What was it like seeing an entire flotilla out there welcoming you? Oh, it was amazing, but it was I, I was being very careful not to hit anyone. It got a bit busy at one point and there were little sailing dinghies flying around and, and big ribs and, and other yachts. And I thought, wow, is this all for me? I've just had a long holiday here. <laughs> and what was it after four years of being out at sea that made you think... It's time to go home. Well, I'd basically run out of money. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the problem. I actually thought after four years, it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed pretty much every moment, uh, not quite all, but nearly all. And I was kind of ready to, to do something different. One thing I found a little bit difficult was I met so many people and made so many friendships and close relationships, but I was always saying goodbye because you meet all these people and you've got different paths and different itineraries. And actually saying goodbye when you meet so many amazing people gets quite hard after a while. And I just thought to myself, I would like to just be in one place for a bit and not keep saying goodbye to everybody. Is it odd, having lived so intensely for the last four years, to come back to normal, more sedate-paced life as you know it? I think I'll maybe struggle a little bit with the, the, the freedom I had to choose where I went from day to day and week to week. There will be a little bit more restrictions on that here, which is... Absolutely fine, but I think that's going to be a little bit harder to get my head around. And now that you've finished, do you think about how your dad would have reacted, what he would have made of your travels? Yeah, I do, actually. I found a photo, a family photo of him on the ship he was working on in front of Table Mountain in Cape Town. And when I'd sailed to Cape Town myself, I didn't know about this photo at the time, but I took a photo, like a selfie of myself in front of Table Mountain. And when I looked at the old photo, it was almost the identical view and it was 50 years apart that the photos had been taken. And uh, I thought that was quite a nice moment because uh, there was he all those years ago and there was me now and it would just be interesting to sit down with him and show him that photo and have a chat about it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana and my guest, Tom Darcy. Tom's story first appeared in The Times. 
If you'd like access to more articles that inspire and delight, do think about taking out a subscription. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. Today's producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you're feeling adventurous, you could begin by leaving us a review. It would help to guide other listeners to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and the Times Radio app with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. We'll be back next week if we haven't taken off on an adventure of our own. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.